Hi, everybody, um, and welcome to this session on seizing opportunities to improve animal welfare in Taiwan with Jonathan Trey. Um, I'm Bridget, and I'll be the MC for this session. So we'll be starting with a 15-minute talk by Jonathan, and then we'll move on to a live Q&A session. Um, but now I'd like to introduce our speaker for this session. Jonathan Tree is a campaigner at East, one of Taiwan's leading animal protection organizations. He supports campaign strategy, international collaboration, and policy research to improve the welfare of animals in Taiwan. He graduated from the University of Melbourne and is a member of the World Economic Forum's Global Shapers community. Prior to moving to Taiwan, he lived in Australia and mainland China and speaks English and Mandarin. Here's Jonathan. Good afternoon, everybody. It's a pleasure to join you all here today at EAGX, and thank you so much to the organizers for staging this event. I'm Jonathan Tree, and I'm a campaigner at the Environment and Animal Society of Taiwan, which most of you might know as EAST, uh, and is one of the leading animal protection organizations in Taiwan. So as I'm sure many of you are aware, uh, in the last few years, we've seen tremendous global progress to improve the welfare of animals. So we've seen thousands of companies releasing policies to materially improve animal welfare. Uh, we've made tremendous uh, inroads into legislation and consumers are voting with their wallets to end some of the worst factory farming practices. However, in addition to the improved and refined strategies of animal advocacy organizations, much of this progress is also the accumulation of decades of work to increase awareness and institutionalize animal welfare issues. And here we can see one snapshot, one snapshot of that from Compassion in World Farming, uh, rallying to incorporate uh, animal sentience into the EU treaties. But what are we to do when this foundation does not yet exist, as is currently the, uh, the case in most parts of Asia, where efforts are in many cases only just beginning? Today, I would like to share some of the lessons I've learned from my time at East about seizing opportunities to improve the plight of animals. Or as, as uh, East's founder, Wuhong, likes to describe it, a kind of benevolent opportunism. So the first uh, issue I'd like to touch on is leveraging adjacent, adjacent issues. So ideally, in an ideal world, we would all like for people to sympathize or empathize with animal welfare issues for what they are. And this has been central to many of the appeals used by organizations in the West. However, in many parts of the world, animal welfare is simply not the most pressing priority, whether you're a consumer or a decision maker. So here we can see the results of a study that show the motivations for improving animal welfare in six Asian countries among decision makers. Those are people with the power to make decisions that affect large numbers of animals. And as you can see, animal welfare for the animal's sake is just one of, the, uh, one of the considerations in the mix and not always the top one. So we can make far, faster progress by engaging with adjacent issues, whether it be food safety, food security, trade, environmental issues, in addition to animal welfare. And a recent example of this from our work of how we can tap into non-animal issues to achieve better outcomes for animals is our campaign to end the use of cages for laying ducks in Taiwan. So for some context, Taiwan has applied to export processed egg products to the European Union, many of which will be duck eggs in the form of preserved ducks and other processed duck egg products. So we worked with Eurogroup for Animals, which is a uh, coalition and lobby group that focuses on lobbying the European Commission and Euro European Parliament. Um, and they published a statement highlighting the concerning trend towards caging ducks in Taiwan and the risks that this poses to uh, uh, duck egg imports or processed egg products imports were approved in the 
EU, the risk that this will pose to progress that the EU has made in animal welfare. So as part of this campaign, we also coordinated with organisations from the major export markets from Taiwanese duck eggs, from Singapore to the US, with Richard Gervais also voicing his support. As you can see, he really likes ducks. And so by approaching this from a trade angle, we were able to show authorities in Taiwan that a minority of duck farmers using cages uh, were jeopardizing Taiwan's trade opportunities for the entire industry, leveraging trade to demand improved animal welfare standards. And here is a photo from our press conference, uh, and the man second from the left is a senior official at the Council of Agriculture. And so at our press conference, the Council of Agriculture declared it would be willing to consider a ban on new cage farm duck, uh, sorry, uh, the construction of new cage duck farms. So we're now work working with the authorities to make sure that they follow through on this promise. Secondly, uh, one thing I've observed to be really important is choosing your timing. So I think this is something that East has really mastered um, and it involves being really familiar with what's going on in the context that you're working in so that you're really ready and able to seize any windows of opportunity that might come up. And these windows of opportunity could be moments in the public discourse, or they could be uh, a public con consultation period. Um, so it's important to keep your eyes out for these, these windows. And what we've found is that when you tap into the right moment, you can achieve changes that would have been completely off the table otherwise, or would have taken a really substantial effort and resources to build up to. And to give one example of this, uh, this year when the Ministry of Health and Welfare announced it would add joint health uh, to the list of claims certified by Taiwan's health food certification scheme. And so for some background, this uh, government-run certification scheme uh, certifies the health food claims made by food companies uh, about the health effects of their food. Um, so by announcing that it was adding joint health to the list of claims, it was also announced it would be adding new animal tests uh, as ways of verifying these health food claims. And crucially, it also opened the scheme up for public consultation. So seizing on this moment, my colleagues submitted a rigorous science-based submission, and we held a press conference to highlight to the media the, uh, our criticisms and critiques of the government's plans. As a result, the authorities responded, and we are glad to share that efficacy tests involving animals for combating fatigue and regulating blood pressure will now be removed from the scheme. And there is, uh, the authorities have also promised to prioritize the use of non-animal methods for safety testing in the scheme as well. So we're, by keeping our fingers on the pulse and looking out for these windows of opportunity, we're able to turn what initially looked like a setback with more animal testing into this opportunity for change. Thirdly, uh, the third point I'd like to share is forming alliances. So, there are still really few people working to improve the welfare of animals uh, in comparison to the huge uh, size of the, fast, of the task that we face. So that is to say, if we're not leveraging other allies and creating alliances, uh, then we're not seizing all of the opportunities that there are for change. And allies come often from unlikely quarters. So even the most unexpected of places. And I think a really brilliant example of this is our partnership and the story of Carrefour Taiwan. So East has been working with Carrefour Taiwan since 2018, when Carrefour announced its aim to go K3 in Taiwan by 2025. 
And you can see an article about that just there on the left. And so since that time, Carrefour Taiwan has become a really vocal proponent of the cage-free shift and played a really uh, enormous role in improving consumer awareness in Taiwan, as well as the willingness of producers to invest in cage-free systems. So I'll take you through just some of the steps that Carrefour has made on this journey. Uh, firstly, soon after its announcement, Carrefour started using cage-free eggs for bakery items and prepared foods that Carrefour itself prepares. Then by the end of 2018, Carrefour established cage-free zones in all of its stores nationwide in Taiwan. Uh, so you can see here, uh, they're really clearly marked, um, really clear merchandising and uh, the locations to make it more attractive to consumers. Um, and they're in all stores in Taiwan. And by the end of last year, Carrefour released its first ever line of cage-free private label eggs. Um, and something special about this is that inside the lid of every egg carton is a message from Fei Fei the Hen, which thanks consumers for choosing to go cage-free. Carrefour has also held uh, educational events in their stores and at other events and used discounts to highlight their cage-free shift. And I think discounts is a really smart strategy because it actually changes, uh, encourages a change in consumer behavior and uh, changes those consumption patterns. And crucially, they've also encouraged their suppliers to come on board. So using their market power, um, they've encouraged their suppliers to start uh, sourcing uh, eggs that use cage-free uh, eggs as ingredients for their products. And I think this is just the icing on the cake. Um, and something that I like to share is that Carrefour, in the egg aisle of all of its stores, plays a video that we produced uh, explaining to consumers the different uh, cage-free systems. Um, that includes battery cages, uh, sorry, the different systems, including battery cages. Uh, so the consumers can be really clear about uh, what they're buying into. And I think it's really hard to overstate how much this partnership has increased awareness in Taiwan, um, whether it's talking to friends or when we meet with government officials or seeing producers that are now willing to go cage-free. I think this really demonstrates the opportunities that forming meaningful alliances can create. And finally, I would just like to encourage everyone to be bold. Uh, so this means having a lean-in mindset and being willing to step into opportunities that may not really even exist yet. And here, I think the perfect example of this is how my colleagues uh, deftly initiated a policy review to phase out conventional battery cages in Taiwan. Uh, so it all started uh, at a technical workshop held by East uh, for cage-free or soon-to-be cage cage-free farmers last year in central Taiwan. And in attendance were a senior government official from the Council of Agriculture, uh, supportive academics who were speaking at the event, as well as Marilyn Su, the director of CSR and communications at Carrefour. So my colleagues, never to waste an opportunity, came prepared uh, with a proposal to initiate a policy review into phasing out conventional battery cages uh, and presented it to the Council of Agriculture officials. Um, and in this context, uh, they were backed by stakeholders that weren't NGOs with academics and business, um, which I think is a really effective strategy. And here you can see that pivotal moment, and it is just as everyone was sitting down for lunch that they seized this opportunity. Um, you can see how it went down in this photo here. And it was in this setting where officials were able to see the number of farmers that had turned out and were uh, keen to get on the cage-free trend um, that the government agreed to kickstart this policy review. 
So to note there, we don't expect a sudden ban on battery cages as a result of this policy review process. But similar to the legislative process in the EU that took many years, we do think it's a firm foot in the door, in the door and puts this issue squarely on the government's agenda. And as on a personal note, I think this is just something that I really admire about my colleagues, um, many of whom have worked in the field for uh, 20 years, up to 20 years, um, and just being able to identify opportunities like this uh, lunch break here by having a really bold uh, forward-leaning mindset. And I know this is a really analytical audience as well, so I think it's only fair to share some of the downsides we've observed uh, to having this opportunistic approach. So one downside or one challenge is it can make it difficult, uh, leaving the space to pursue these opportunities can make it more difficult to plan ahead and to stick to your plans as you are unsure about what opportunities are coming just around the corner. Because of this, you have to be highly flexible and responsive to changing situations, which requires a lot of energy and resolve from the whole team uh, and coordination as well. And there isn't a pot of gold at the end of every rainbow. So not every opportunity will yield results. And it's important to make judgments with a clear eye to your long-term goals and how pursuing an opportunity is going to help you reach them. So I hope this has given some insight into some of the ways that we can seize opportunities to improve animal welfare in Asia. I'm really optimistic that by being creative and flexible, we can make, uh, we can build a foundation that will be a platform for even greater opportunities in the future in Asia. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, I've put my email and LinkedIn available on the uh, conference platform for anyone who likes to get in touch. And I really look forward to all of your questions and comments. Thank you. Okay, um, Jonathan, thank you so much for that really interesting and informative talk. And thanks so much for taking the time to join us here today for this Q&A session. Thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Great. So just a, a reminder to people at home that you can keep submitting questions um, in the question box. Um, but I also have a, a few of my own questions, so I might just leave with that if that's okay. Um, Jonathan, in, in the talk, you, you mentioned a few times that um, your team was able to jump on opportunities as, as they arose. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, from a practical planning perspective, how do you balance this, I guess, um, you know, setting a work agenda and, and having a plan what you're going to do with also having, being able to jump on these opportunities when, when they do come up? Yeah, how do, you, how do you strike that balance? I think one of the key things we have is, um, yeah, we incorporate a lot of flexibility into our planning. So our plans are often uh, built around having a, a long-term goal that we're really set on on achieving. And then when these opportunities come up, um, we judge whether we think that that opportunity is go going to be able to meaningfully contribute to that goal. Um, mm -hmm. But obviously there are practicalities involved with that. And I think um, it does require flexibility and sometimes disrupting the workflow that you had planned um, if you think that the opportunity is, is worth pursuing and, it, and is going to uh, or is likely to contribute to um, your longer term ambition. Um, so as an example of that for our cage-free campaign, we have a long-term goal of achieving a, a ban on battery cages or a phase out of battery cages in Taiwan. Um, so I think any opportunity that comes up in that space, we have to uh, make an assessment whether we think that um, the original work that we might have been planning to work on um, provides a better opportunity or whether something that has come up, um, we should seize that and, and leverage that instead. But uh, yeah, as with everything, it's not perfect. And I think uh, it can be challenging sometimes when uh, you already have other work 
that you initially plan to get to and you're trying to fit new things in um, and it can lead to things being pushed back. So that's kind of the, the negative that I touched on in, in the presentation. Yeah. Yeah, um, so we've had a, some, some questions coming um, into the chat and one which I think is a really interesting question is um, just asking about whether there's specific differences you've noticed from corporate campaigns in the West um, and to, to your work in Taiwan. So um, Sally, who's asked this question, has mentioned that the Humane League in Japan mentioned that corporate corporations in Japan don't like to stand out by going pay-free first. Um, is this something you've noticed in Taiwan? And yeah, are there any other differences that you notice between, I guess, yeah, you work here and in Western settings? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do think that uh, some of the things that Maho mentioned in her presentation in Japan are very relevant to Taiwan as well. Not all of them, but um, for example, I think certainly the risk adverse uh, nature of companies here, they definitely like to do a full review of, of whether they're um, able to achieve something before signing up to anything. And actually they would uh, generally, we've found, prefer to uh, actually do the task, uh, make a transition or make a change first before uh, going public and making that commitment. So I think in terms of that risk averse nature, there's a sense of making any public commitment is introducing the risk of failure. Um, and uh, that's something that we've tried to incorporate into our corporate outreach work. So rather than necessarily always going straight for a cor corporate commitment, we might try to get a foot in the door first and um, try and help them work through some of the early issues with maybe it's sourcing liquid eggs or um, starting to make some initial changes to their sourcing and then show that it's possible, um, get them to increase the proportion of sourcing um, and kind of work with them from there uh, before making anything public. So that's something that we're experimenting with and we've had some results with uh, dessert companies in Taiwan. Um, but obviously we always uh, would like to, to make uh, that, that transition public later on to give a signal to the industry as well. Um, and I think we have had some, some real leaders as well, like Carrefour, uh, who was the first retailer in Asia to make a cage-free pledge in Taiwan, um, where they made that, and they've been very vocal and a big proponent of that change here. So uh, certainly some are willing to uh, be more gung-ho and, and take on that leadership role, which is, is always nice. Yeah, yeah, I found it in incredible and just really cool that um, they were playing, playing the video that your um, that Easter developed in their supermarket. I mean, that's, um, yeah, really amazing. Um, so, yeah, very, very impressive. Um, I guess, yeah, do you have any lessons from, from that particular relationship that, you know, that led you to have that kind of success? Because it seems like a really big success. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... I think one thing is just the lesson of having being able to build that positive relationship. So um, while some companies do require a tougher line in negotiations, um, some companies are willing to work with you. And if you're able to um, maybe not go in with a, a prejudged uh, fixed view of uh, the company is kind of working against us, um, then there are opportunities there for, for a partnership. Um, and when we announced, uh, when Carrefour announced the cage free commitment, it was at a joint press conference with East. Um, so I think from the start, um, it has been a partnership in nature. And through that, we've been able to really put Cage Free, uh, this issue in front of customers around Taiwan and in front of the public uh, when they're doing their shopping and when they're thinking about um, these decisions. So I think that's been yeah, a really good lesson. Yeah, great. Cool. Um, so we've got another question here about um, trying to overcome, I guess, perceptions in, in, in the public. I'm, I'm thinking or perhaps also within corporations as well, that um, everything's okay with animal farming, that there isn't anything wrong with it. 
yeah, do you have any general thoughts on on how to, um, to, to I guess, broach that topic and, and bring that up with people that maybe aren't okay? Yeah, I think um, certainly East has like a very big research uh, background. Um, the Chinese name for East actually is kind of like a research institute if you translate it literally. Um, so I think East has always put a big focus on evidence and compiling a really strong case for whatever they're, uh, whatever we want to, to argue for. So I think certainly um, coming on with scientific evidence, um, coming on, you know, on, on animal welfare, um, looking up the precedents uh, for what's happening overseas has always been uh, influential, whether you're talking with policymakers or with uh, companies, um, if you're able to demonstrate that this is really a global shift and that their counterparts overseas are making this then I think you can start to show that this is, is somewhat of an inevitable direction that the industry is moving in. Um, so I think definitely, yeah, returning to that, uh, just having a really well-founded case. And I think that's especially the case when you're in, in your, uh, in a, a environment where people might not be familiar and you really have to uh, make that clear and really explain um, the context that, that's happening around this. And sorry, one, one other thing also just uh, on that is it's also similar to leveraging other issues. And I think you also have to find out what they care about uh, as well. Mm -hmm. So if, obviously a lot of companies here are uh, very concerned about food safety and making sure that um, their company is not embroiled in any food safety standards. So I think coming at uh, things from uh, what the person you're talking to is concerned about is also a really effective way. Yeah, no, I think, uh, yeah, and I think in general that's um, a really good point um, for any aspect of specific altruism, um, trying to work with people and what their motivations are. Um, so we've probably only got time for one more question, so I might make this the last one, but um, I'm just interested to know, I guess, what, what's on the agenda for, for East, what your, your plans are for the, the coming years, um, yeah, what you're focusing on. Yeah, um, I think one thing we're definitely uh, exploring some new approaches in, in our corporate outreach work. Um, so building on that positive collaborative approach as well. Um, and we're looking to build new partnerships. Um, so one, one event we held recently with the Netherlands office in Taiwan, which is essentially a, uh, a different embassy here. Um, and they were able to invite stakeholders that they work with. Um, the Netherlands is one of the, the biggest investors in Taiwan. So I think just having um, approaching that from a different angle and being able to introduce uh, what we're talking about to a new audience is something that we're trying to do. Um, and we're also planning uh, a kind of corporate forum sometime in the future uh, with one of the uh, most influential business publications in Taiwan. So I think we're, we're trying to um, not just cold outreach to companies, um, but really establish relationships and build connections in person um, in, a, in an environment that they're comfortable in. Um, and one other thing, if we have time, is uh, I think East has always been uh, a real policy specialist and really um, um, sort of helped with evidence and, and being able to make a really strong case for things. And I think we're also trying to evolve our communications so we can use that uh, to interact more with the public and really uh, build that awareness up, whether it's yeah, the public or building awareness with officials, um, because I think what we've found is corporate outreach and, and this kind of thing has been obviously a huge success around the world and it's really given us new inroads. Um, but uh, I think it's built on exploiting a gap between consumer expectations and the reality of, of factory farming. And where there isn't that gap, then uh, yeah, you, you don't have that, that gap to exploit and it, uh, you do need mm -hmm. uh, 
to take new approaches. So I think we still think that um, having that base awareness and understanding of these issues and how they affect people uh, is something that we want to strengthen going forward. Yeah, well, that all sounds um, like you've got a lot of really exciting and, and important work uh, on the agenda. Um, so yeah, so thanks very much for doing it and, and also thanks very much for, for joining us. Um, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for for this session, but yeah, we really appreciate you joining us and, and also everybody at home for joining us for this session. So yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Bridget, and thanks everyone for joining.